God's desire, God's purpose is for you to have a rich and satisfying life. God is a God of abundance and not scarcity. God is a God that has given more than we could ever imagine. And he wants you to have a rich and satisfying life. Now, right away, some of you might feel like, wow, we are going down the prosperity gospel this morning, that God is all about health and wealth. And let me tell you that that's, this is not what it's about today. In an article on the website Psychology Today titled, Money, Can Money Buy Happiness? The writer references multiple scientific studies connected with money and happiness. And in these studies, they discovered that, at least in the U.S., once you pass a certain income level, your happiness doesn't go up anymore. That threshold in the U.S. is $75,000, and once you pass that, there's no more happiness being found in wealth for you. Another study found out that the only way that money can buy you happiness is by buying you time. That when you can get rid of things that you'd normally be doing that you don't enjoy. So say you don't enjoy housework or mowing the yard and you hire somebody to do that. In a sense, you've bought yourself time and then that can create a little more happiness. But when Jesus says, I've come to give you a rich and satisfying life, he is not talking about physical possessions. When we take time to look in the surrounding verses, we discover a bit more about what he is saying in the illustrations that he's using. Jesus is giving this illustration about a sheep and shepherds, and he calls himself the good shepherd, and that people are his sheep. Now, referencing people as sheep, you have to understand that sheep are not intelligent animals. If you leave them off to themselves, they go down paths towards destruction and hurting themselves and getting themselves into a whole series of issues. And to show you that, here's a short video of a sheep that got itself in a little bit of trouble. So when Jesus calls us sheep... He knows that we are going to get ourselves in some trouble along the way. And we got to keep coming back to the good shepherd. Now I'm going to come back to this idea of the good shepherd in a minute. But right before John 10 and John 10, 9, Jesus calls himself the gate. He says, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. In ancient Israel, sheep were out in these free-roaming fields during the day. But at night, they'd be gathered into public sheep pens that were made of stone walls with an open door, or either that or a cave. And the shepherd, once he got his sheep into these sheep pens, would literally lay down in the door and become the gate. That shepherd, if there was anything going to come into the sheep pen or leave the sheep pen, it had to go through the shepherd. He literally became the gate. And Jesus is saying, I am the gate. I'm the only way. I am the one where salvation is found. And when you come in through me, you find good pastures. Good pastures are safe, secure places. A place with abundance of food and water and shelter. And Jesus is that gate to good pastures. To that welcoming and rich and abundant life. Now, in the same way, Jesus is the gate. He calls himself the good shepherd. And in verse 11, we read, I am the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. And in verses 14 to 15, we read, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me just as the Father knows me, and I, and I know the Father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. A good shepherd loves his sheep, cares for his sheep. His sheep know him by name, and he knows them by name. And ultimately, a good shepherd sacrifices his life for his sheep. And Jesus was in a sense telling them that he was predicting his death on a cross for your sin, for my sin, to reconcile us to God. He knows you. He wants you to know him. And a rich and satisfying life begins with going through that gate called Jesus and entering into a relationship with the good shepherd. So I ask you, have you walked through that gate called Jesus? Do you know the good shepherd? Do you know his voice in your life? And that promise of a rich and satisfying life in Jesus. Think about this. In John 10, it, 10, it says, The thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy. In context, it, it's either talking about the religious leaders that are earlier in John 10, who were at best distracted, at worst deceiving people, and presenting a false view of who God is, or might have been talking about the ultimate thief, Satan. But in our lives, we can look at things that have come into our lives to steal, kill, and destroy. And any thieves in our life point back to the ultimate thief, Satan. What do thieves do? A thief takes what is not theirs. A thief is not in it for you. A thief does not want your best. A thief fills your life with, with lies that sound good but bring destruction. Thieves promise fun, excitement, happiness, but fulfillment, but leave you empty and void. And ultimately, a thief comes to steal your joy, kill your dreams, and destroy your life. Look at your own life. Maybe you've experienced thieves in your life. Or right now, you're experiencing that in your life. That emptiness, destruction. Or maybe your life is even full, but still empty. You might have gotten the dream job, the dream car, the dream house, but life still feels like something's been stolen from you. Jesus promises a rich and satisfying life. And if your life is empty and in ruins, it might be time to see who's stealing from you killing you and destroying your life. In my teens, I allowed pleasure and partying to take over my life. I thought it was all fun at the time, but ultimately it led towards emptiness. Or as Craig Rochelle says, if sin isn't fun, you either don't know what sin is or you're doing it wrong. Because sin for a season is fun. It brings pleasure, but in the end, it brings emptiness and destruction in our lives. So if you have been in destruction mode, maybe it's time to turn back to the good shepherd. Maybe it's time to walk through the gate called Jesus. And often within following Jesus, we look at saying yes to Jesus as an end of the road, but really it's a beginning when we begin to walk with Jesus. 
And as you say yes to Jesus for the first time, we need to continually say yes to Jesus in different areas of our life. And we need to allow God to transform us and change us from the inside out. And so here are a few ways that we need to discover a rich and satisfying life. One way is to refine our view of God. When we receive Jesus, we don't know everything about God, and we'll never know everything about God, but we need to refine and understand more and more about who God is. A.W. Tozer said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. All of us have thoughts about God. Some of them right, some of them wrong. Maybe you look at God as a cosmic killjoy, stealing your fun, limiting your freedom, and trying to oppress you. Or maybe you look at God as this cosmic genie that you just rub the Bible, say the prayer, and you get whatever you want. Both of those are not proper views of God. The God I know who is revealed in Scripture is the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep. A God who brings freedom, not bondage. A a God who has come to save and not condemn. A God who forgives, saves, and promises even if we struggle through all of life. And he promises we are going to struggle. He says, take heart. I've overcome the world. And take heart that there'll be a day when the struggle ends. And every wrong is made right and every tear is wiped away. When we have a distorted view of God, it will distort our view of life and God. My daughter, a few months ago, got a new pair of glasses. And she, when she put them on for the first time, they distorted her vision. Well, it turns out they put the wrong lens for the wrong eyes. They had flipped them around. And so if you took the glasses and flipped them around, then they seemed all right, but they didn't quite wear well like that. And it wasn't that both her eyes were so different in prescription. It was just that a little bit of distortion distorted all of life. The same with God. It only takes a little bit of distortion to get us out of focus with who God really is. And so how do we keep our lives from getting distorted in our view of God? Well, what we need to do is get into the scriptures, the Bible, on a regular basis. It's like a recalibration and a a refocusing on who God really is. If you're not regularly in the Bible, I'd encourage you to start in the Gospels. That's the first four books in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And discover afresh and new, or maybe for the first time, who this Jesus is. What he has done for you and others and how he promises us a rich and satisfying life. We need to refine our view of God Next, to discover a rich and satisfying life, we need to replace scarcity with abundance. Scarcity with abundance. Too many of us walk around like we don't have enough. We act like our success isn't enough, our education, our spouse, our family, our singleness, our marriage, our retirement isn't enough. We have a scarcity mindset which has a sense of dissatisfaction and a lack. And a scarcity mindset leaves us in fear that we'll never have enough. And when we have a scarcity mindset, it's like living with two clenched fists, trying to hold on to what we have because we're afraid that there's no more to come and we don't want to lose what we already have. 
When in reality, when we simply open up our lives and open up our fists, it's much more freeing to trust in the abundance and rich and satisfying life that God has for us. It takes more energy to hold on to things tightly than to release them to God's control. Every single one of us has been on the receiving end of both personal and God's generosity to us. In John 1.16, we read, From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. Jesus is not a stingy God. He is an abundant, gracious God who gives one blessing on top of another blessing on top of another blessing. If we go all the way back to the beginning, we see that this is God's design for creation. We read in Genesis 1.28, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern over it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. The first three commandments we read in Scripture are be fruitful, multiply, fill. All words of abundance, all words not of lack, but overflowing riches. God created you to be fruitful. He didn't tell Adam and Eve to go make fruit. He said, from your very core, I've created you to be fruitful. When you see a fruit tree with fruit on it, the reason there's fruit on it is, is part of its literal DNA to make that fruit. It is designed to be fruitful. Do you know that one dwarf apple tree in one season will produce about 500 apples? Do you know that one cherry tree in a season will produce 50 to 30 to 50 quarts of cherries if the birds don't get them? Fruit trees are created in their very DNA to be fruitful. In the same way that God has designed you to be fruitful. And when we're healthy, we are fruitful, and that fruitfulness will be beyond ourselves. God has created us to have rich and satisfying lives. And, and he also says, be fruitful and multiply. God is not a God of addition. He is a God of multiplication for all of you math people out there. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Last year around this time, when it started getting colder out, we started noticing mice in our house. And as we noticed mice, I put out some traps and bait. And a few days later, I went to check on the traps and I discovered two small mice. Or I could say two baby mice. And baby mice mean that something is multiplying in your house. So I looked it up. How quick do mice multiply? Well, it turns out mice multiply at about a rate of 60 mice per couple per year. And that after six weeks, those baby mice can produce other mice. I don't even want to do the math how many mice I could have ended up in my house. I was on the phone to an exterminator before I knew it to make sure that I did not have a multiplication pro problem in my house. Or think about it this way. If I offered you $1 million or one penny doubled every day for 30 days, which one would you take? So the one penny would start one penny on the first day, two cents on the second, four on the third, eight on the fourth. Which one would you take? The million dollars or the multiplied penny? 
Well, if you took the penny at the end of 30 days, you would have $5,368,709.12 by simply doubling that penny every single day. Now let's translate this to something else. Think about if you decided over the next 12 months to pray faithfully that somebody would come to say yes to Jesus for the first time. And you said, when this person comes to say yes to Jesus, I will personally disciple them, invest in them with the goal of them investing themselves in somebody else who will say yes to Jesus and then multiply themselves in somebody else. At the end of year one, you would have two people, you and this other person. At the end of year two, you would have four people. At the end of year 33, you would have more than 8.5 billion followers of Jesus. 33 years. If we'd simply begin with the one right in front of us and say, I'm committed to the one and investing in the one. God told Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, make the earth full. God is a God of abundance. You might be thinking, I don't know abundance in my life, Mark. My life feels like more like subtraction and division, not addition and multiplication. Well, I'd encourage you to just be reminded that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And have you allowed thieves into your life? And if you say, no, it's not about that, then I would encourage you to go read the book of Job. Because maybe God has allowed you to suffer for a purpose, and maybe you don't know that purpose, yes. But God has said that he wants to give us a rich and satisfying life. And the riches and satisfaction come in different ways than we often expect. It might be spiritual health, a good friend, or an opportunity to share Jesus with somebody and see them say yes to Jesus like I had this last week when I prayed with somebody to say yes to Jesus for the first time. Amen? There's not, there's not a, a light up in the foyer yet because I'm waiting to see if that person could come to church on Sunday and give testimony, but we'll light it pretty soon. But God wants to give us a different type of rich and satisfying life. And sometimes, and finally, it might come from reorientating your life. That we reorientate our life from receiving to giving. Acts 20, 35, we read, Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. A rich and satisfying life recognizes that it is more blessed to give than receive. We have already received an abundance from God, blessing upon blessing. We have been given so much that it only makes sense for us to give some of it away to others. Have you ever gone to a restaurant where they skimped on the food? I remember going to a pretty expensive restaurant and when I got done with my meal and left, I needed to stop at a drive-thru on the way home to just fill the void because it was so skimpy. Maybe it was a nice plate, but it just didn't fill the void. And we've all been to restaurants like that or met misers and skimpy people like the Ebenezer Scrooges or the Grinches that look how they can hold on and gather instead of give away. There's something about giving that pries our fingers and hearts wide open to God's generosity for us and others. And there's so many different ways we can give in. We can give in time, talent, 
and treasure. And this is all reflecting the ultimately the greatest giver of all time, God, who loved the world and gave his one and only son for us. Think about time. God has given us all time that we can give to different areas. This year as a church, we've given over 1,600 hours beyond our church wall to show Jesus with our actions to our community. Every Sunday, around 35 people give of their time and talents to make what you're seeing happen. From children's to greeting to communion to welcoming to putting signs out in front to a hot cup of coffee to worship. People are giving of their time and talent to make this happen every single week. You might have heard the old saying, people don't care how much you know until, you know, until they know how much you care. And by giving time, you're saying, I care. We can give our talent, our supernatural talents and natural abilities to God for his purposes and kingdom. We can teach, pray, plan, lead, serve, and give our talents to others. Because it's more blessed to give than receive. And we can give of our treasure. The possessions we have, the money we have earned. Do you think that God tells us in scripture to give the first 10% back to him because he needs our money? He doesn't need our money. I believe that he puts that as a starting point, regular systematic giving to his purposes because he wants our heart. And Jesus says that where your treasure is, your heart will follow. Your heart follows your treasure. And as you give to God's purposes, God has your heart follow. If you've ever supported missions, you know that your heart goes towards missions. If you support the local church, when decisions are made, they become a little bit more personal. Maybe with the name change even. Because you're saying, I'm invested in it. My heart is connected to this. I've seen it again and again, my friends. Durwood Alliance Church, brothers, sisters, you are a generous church. We are playing in a league a couple times our size in what we do with our community, with our giving, and so many other areas. And so I don't want to hear, I don't want you to in any way hear guilt today, but that you are a generous church and maybe God is even moving you to more. I don't know. But I can tell you, we can never outgive God and to live a rich and satisfying life, reorient, reorientate from receiving to giving. The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus has come to give you a rich and satisfying life. When we walk through the gate called Jesus, when we invite the good shepherd into our lives, when we refine our view of God and replace a scarcity mentality with abundance and reorient from receiving to giving, I believe we'll have rich and satisfying lives. Let's pray. God, you are a generous God and we can never outgive you. And I pray, God, that we would know your generosity in our lives. I pray, Father God, that you would fill us to overflowing with your abundance, that we could be generous with others. God, I pray if people today are not experiencing that, Lord Jesus, may you help them to identify the reason why and make those adjustments. And Father, may we ultimately see 
that the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But you have come to give us a rich and satisfying life. Amen.